faithful. O come, all ye faithful, and turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, if you don't have the text, it's reprinted on the back of the bulletins as we finish our Light Shines in the Darkness sermon series on Christmas Day. This Advent, we've looked at how John, in his gospel, tells the Advent of Jesus. He doesn't tell all the stories of Mary, Joseph, angels, shepherds, stars. Instead, he focuses on who Jesus was, the light that shines in the darkness. And then John goes on to tell us about John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist say about Jesus? How did he want us to think about the baby born on Christmas? Well, we'll find out this morning. Let me pray first, and then I will read our text. Merry Christmas, Lord. Thanks for a day where we not only get to celebrate the birth of your Son and our Savior, but today's the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day that your Savior, born on Christmas, was raised from the dead, overcoming death, defeating sin, and silencing Satan. What a glorious day. For Christmas to be on Sunday, the Lord's Day. Now as we turn to your words, briefly give us eyes to see your glory and hearts to receive every word from you with obedience and joy. Comfort your people now as we hear from your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We'll be looking at John chapter 1, verses 19 through 29. Quite a bit to cover, and normally the text would end at 28, but we need to get to verse 29. That is the key. And as I read it, think of two questions for Christmas today. Who are you, and who is Jesus? If you want to celebrate Christmas well, two questions that are answered in our text. Who are you? And who is Jesus? Well, let me read the word of our Lord. John 1, 19 through 29. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And now verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, 
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John answers two questions by way of John the Baptist. Who are you and who is Jesus? If you want to celebrate Christmas well today, you need to know those two questions. First, who are you? Let's walk through the verses. Verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? All right, John the Baptist, many of you know him if you've read your Bible. He was becoming famous. He had a following. He had disciples. His message was strange and compelling. So the religious leaders, mainly the Jewish leaders, sent a small group of priests and Levites to investigate. And their main question was, who are you? Now, don't misunderstand. They weren't asking to see his license and registration. They knew his name. They wanted to know if he was special or if he thought he was special. Are you special? Are you the one? Are you important? Who do you think you are, John the Baptist? Well, verse 20 tells us, He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So obviously some people were saying that this guy might be the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is coming into the world to set things right. The Jewish people thought we're in exile. The Roman government is oppressing us. We're third-class citizens. We're overtaxed. We're hated. We're despised. One day, someone in the line of David is going to come and save us and overthrow our enemies, our political and spiritual enemies. Maybe it's this guy, John the Baptist. And John says, no, I am not the guy. It's not about me. I am not the main point. The world does not revolve around me. I am not God's great gift to the earth. I remember talking to a visitor once after a service here years ago, and he said to me afterwards, so are you the guy here? And I said, no. I point to the guy. I am not the guy. You do not want to put your trust in me. That's what John the Baptist is saying. John the Baptist is not the light, as we saw earlier in John. And John the Baptist is not the Christ. He's not the solution. He's not the Messiah. He's not the answer. But they knew he was somebody special, somebody different, somebody well-known. So now, verse 21. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So they needed an answer. Who are you? And we need to ask ourselves that question today. If we're going to celebrate Christmas well, it can be all about Jesus or it can be all about you. And if it's all about you, I have bad news. You are not important enough to be the main point today. Even if you are going to a celebration where most of the gifts under that tree are for you, it is still not about you. If you are looking forward to something today and you think it will solve your problem, it will make you so happy. If that thing is anything other than Jesus, you will be let down or you will crush the person in whom you place your hopes. When we look to another person, even a spouse or a child or a parent or a friend or a potential romantic relationship, when we look to them to be the one who can be the Christ for us, they will let us down 
and we will crush them with our expectations. Unless the one we look to to do that is Jesus Christ, because he will not be crushed by our expectations. He was crushed by our sins, and he rose again. He can handle that burden. You cannot, and no one else can. Who are you? Is today about you, or is today about Jesus? They want to know from John, are you the guy? Who are you? Well, let's hear more from John about what he says. Verse 23. Now he tells us who he is. And we find out who we are if we have an appropriate relationship with Jesus. Verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So we finally get an answer from John the Baptist and we finally get an answer about ourselves. What should our posture be when we relate to Jesus, particularly on a day where we're supposed to be celebrating Jesus? John the Baptist says he's three things. First, he's the voice crying in the wilderness. He's the voice crying in the wilderness. This is a prophecy from Isaiah 40. John the Baptist was specifically a fulfillment of this prophecy. One man was specifically tasked with going to the Jewish people and announcing the Christ is coming. He's almost here. There he is. That was John the Baptist. Specifically assigned the task of being a voice preparing the way for Jesus. But we are too. We are voices. Jesus says in the Great Commission, go into the whole world and be the voice crying into this wilderness. Jesus has come. John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness. The fulfillment of an age-old prophecy. But we too are to be voices speaking to the world of Jesus. Second, John says he's preparing the way. He's preparing the way. He was baptizing the Israelites. Uh, This wasn't the baptism Jesus commands the church to perform. But the common theme between John's baptism and Christian baptism is the theme of repentance. So by John's words and actions, people learned that they needed to repent of their sins. They needed through John the Baptist's baptism to say, I repent, I am going to need a savior from my sins. So the theme of baptism is one of acknowledging your need to repent and acknowledging your need for a savior. So John says, I'm just preparing the way. I'm letting the world know that they need a savior. That's all John the Baptist was doing. And third and finally, John tells us who he is and who we are. He says, I'm not, uh, I'm not worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. I'm not worthy. I am not the one. I am not the Messiah. I'm not worthy to untie the sandals of this guy. Look at verse 27. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal, I am not worthy to untie. All right, raise your hand if you're wearing sandals today. Okay, there's one or two. Somebody get them uh, slippers or boots or something. It's so cold. It's so cold. In the first century, when you were a disciple of someone, you trained under them. And a disciple was expected to do everything their master did. 
to work when they worked, to rest when they rested, to eat when they ate, to sleep when they slept. A disciple did everything their trainer, their teacher, their discipler did, except they were not to untie the sandals of the discipler. However, for slaves and servants in households, the same rules applied, but you were allowed to untie their sandals. Servants were allowed, slaves were allowed to untie the sandals of those who were their masters. John the Baptist is saying, in relation to Jesus, I am not even worthy to be his slave. I'm not even worthy to be his servant. I am nothing. He is everything. I am without anything to offer you. I am just pointing to the one who is everything you Need. I'm not even worthy to be his slave. And this is the gospel when we realize we are unworthy of Jesus and he came and died in our place anyway. The one of ultimate worth has made unworthy people worthy to be God's family. Let me say that again. The one of ultimate worth has made unworthy people worthy to be God's family. Amen? So John gave us three answers. Who are you, John the Baptist? Who are you? I'm a voice, speaking of Jesus. I'm a preparer of people. I'm letting people know they're sinners who need a Savior. They need to repent of their sins. And I'm unworthy. But in Christ, I'm made worthy. Three things. A voice, a preparer, and unworthy. How about you this Christmas? Who are you this Christmas? How have you been celebrating Christmas? How have you been preparing your calendar and gift giving and the rhythms? Are you doing family worship? Have you made the last month all about Jesus as the main character? Or have you forgotten about Jesus until today and maybe before midnight tonight you'll remember to think about him for a moment? Who are you? Are you a voice speaking of Jesus? How can you this week and even today speak clearly about Jesus? First to yourself and then to others. Are you a preparer of people? What can you do to help people learn more about Jesus? To help people know that even though they've sinned, there's a Savior. To help people see their need to repent and turn from their sins to the only one who can be the light that shines in their darkness. John the Baptist was those three things, and we are called as well to be a voice, a preparer, and we need to remember that we are unworthy. And the best way to do that is to sing those songs that we've been singing, to remind our hearts and minds that we needed a Savior and we weren't the Savior, and He came. O come, O come, Emmanuel. He did. Singing the songs reminds us that we were unworthy, but He came and makes us worthy by grace through faith. In Jesus. Who are we? Who are you? Christmas forces that question on all of us. Either Jesus is the main character today, or you are. Are you looking forward to celebrating Christmas today because you have Jesus? Or are you looking forward to Christmas today because you think you'll get something better? I know as a kid, I was always looking forward to that one gift. I 
have told it before in Christmas messages, and I don't have the exact date, but somebody could Google it. Not now, later. But the one year, the thing I wanted most on Christmas was not Jesus, but it was Super Mario Brothers 2 for the Nintendo. That's dating myself a little bit. Oh, and I just wanted that more than anything else. And then I opened the gifts and the presents, and I got probably socks and, and something else I didn't want. And there was one gift left, and it was, a, it was a Hess's box. And I thought, oh, no. Oh, no, it's clothing, right? If you remember Hess's, again, I'm dating myself. It's a department store that used to be in malls. I don't know if it's even around anymore. And so I look at this Hess's box and I open it up and I'm like, this is a shirt or something. This is it. Christmas is ruined. I didn't get what I wanted. And then I opened it and I opened something else and inside, guess what? Super Mario Brothers 2. I screamed. I jumped up and down. I mean, you could have filmed it and it would have gone viral if the internet was back then. It would have been a viral video. Ran upstairs to start playing it and played it until my parents said, you need to go to the bathroom and you need to eat food one day. As a child, my heart was set on one thing, but you know, Super Mario Brothers 2 didn't solve any of my real problems. It didn't actually comfort my heart. It didn't give me joy or hope or peace. I have not been trusting in Super Mario Brothers 2 for the last 35 years or whenever it came out. So what is your heart set on today? Let me pose the question this way. If you have Jesus and you get nothing else for Christmas, you have everything. If you have Jesus and you get nothing else for Christmas, you have everything. If you need something more than Jesus... You can open as many gifts as you want and you still will not have enough. That's how to apply what John the Baptist is saying. I'm unworthy to even untie his sandals. Who are you? That's who John was. Who are you, John? I'm just a voice. I'm letting people know they need a savior and I'm unworthy to untie the guy's sandals. Look away from me to Jesus. The first Christmas was all about Jesus. Well, our second question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Uh, Since it's Christmas, let's use our imagination. Picture this scene with me. The tree has only one gift left. It's the big gift. The family saves the biggest gift for last. And the child asks one question, what is it? And the parent says, go ahead and open it. Me? Yeah, buddy. It's for you. (gasps) That scene probably played out this morning thousands of times and will play out today thousands more. On Christmas, there's giving and receiving gifts. And the gospel of Jesus is also about the giving and receiving of gifts. That first Christmas, the greatest gift ever was given. The greatest gift ever was born. It was God's biggest gift to the world, his own son. And as kiddos, if we were to ask, what is it? What is it? What's the big gift? What would John the Baptist say? And now we get to hear from him, not who he is, but who Jesus is. So verse 29, John the Baptist gets his chance to announce Jesus in the flesh. 
The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When John the Baptist was asked, who is he? Here's what he said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold tells our hearts to stop. Make sure today you stop. Find a quiet space if where you're at is loud. Stop for a minute and consider and ponder and daydream and wonder. Ponder the gift of Jesus. Behold him today and your heart will have what you need most. The next line says the Lamb of God. Now we know this line if we've read our Bibles in Revelation. The Lamb of God shows up all over Revelation There's a scroll with seven seals and an angel asks the question, who is worthy to open the scroll? And we find that nobody is worthy. Nobody is there. But then one of the elders says, the Lion of Judah has conquered. The Lion of Judah. And then the whole cosmos is watching and a lamb stands up who looks like he had been slain. And then they sing, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. The lamb, the lamb of God ransomed people with his life and blood. He is worthy. We know all of that from Revelation, but John the Baptist's audience, they didn't quite have all that in mind. They hadn't read read Revelation. It hadn't been written yet. What were they thinking when John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God? Well, some probably thought of the Lamb that Abraham knew would be provided for God to spare Abraham's own son when he goes to sacrifice Isaac. Some of John the Baptist's listeners probably thought of the Passover lamb eaten by faithful Jews to celebrate and remind them of the Exodus when their firstborn children were spared and they were sent from slavery into freedom, into the promised land. Some probably thought of the sacrificial system in general where lambs were offered as sacrifices. Some probably thought of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. All that imagery of a lamb in the old covenant, they probably were thinking some of those thoughts, but whatever they thought, they all had some common themes. God was providing. The lamb was dying as a sacrifice and human sins were being covered. God was providing an animal was dying as a sacrifice and human sins were being covered. And John wants those images in our mind when Jesus comes. He didn't come to just be a baby. He came to be a sacrifice. Which is the third thing John the Baptist says. Behold, the Lamb of God, the end of verse 29, who takes away the sin of the world. The gospel of Jesus is about the giving and receiving of gifts. The gift we get when we believe in Jesus is the forgiveness of our sins. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So his giving is actually a taking away. Isn't that interesting? The biggest gift we got, Jesus, is also a taking away of something. Who is Jesus? 
John says he's come as a gift to take something away. To take away the broken parts. To fix the unfixable. To restore the unrestorable. Who can fix a broken bone? Some people can. Who can fix the sins of the world? Only Jesus. What are the wages of sin? Death. Can anyone fix that? Did you open a gift this morning that will prevent death? If so, tell us where to buy it. But it's not on sale. Can anyone fix the wages of sin? Death. Yes, John says, one man, the boy born on Christmas, when he was a man, spoke words as an adult, and a dead man came back to life. He's the defeater of death. He's the overcomer of sin. He's the silencer of Satan. That's who Jesus is. Behold him. Who is John again? He's nobody special, not Elijah, not Messiah, not the prophet. He's unworthy to untie Jesus' sandals, and so are we, and that's good news. Who is Jesus? Behold, he takes away sin. That's who Jesus is. Behold. So what does this mean for us as we bring Christmas and our Christmas service to a conclusion? On Christmas Day 2022, well, we're not here today because it's Christmas Day, although Merry Christmas. We're here today because it's Sunday, the Lord's Day. We're here to behold Jesus, and on the first day, he was raised. His tomb is empty. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And since it's Christmas on a Sunday, we speak of gift giving and gift receiving. So let's end with that thought. How can we think about Jesus as we give and receive gifts today and this week? First, a principle. You cannot give out what you haven't received. You cannot give out what you haven't received. You cannot gift what you haven't been gifted. All good things are gifts from God. And so what do we get as our gift on Christmas? What gift does Jesus give us? Whatever you have gotten from Jesus, today is the day to give it. Whatever you have received from Jesus, today is the day to give it. How about this? All forgiveness is from God. And if you've been forgiven, a great way to celebrate Christmas is to forgive. But you can't give it unless you've received it. You cannot forgive unless you have been forgiven. If you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And now you can give that gift this week. You can forgive in Jesus' name. The giving and receiving of gifts. All hope is from God. If you believe in Jesus, you have hope that the world needs. And now, overflowing with hope, you can give out hope to others. You can come alongside others who are hurting. You can share a message of hope with them. You can remind them that you love them. You can give hope in Jesus' name, but only if you've received that hope. All comfort is from God. Comfort is a great thing to give this week. But you can't give out comfort unless you have been comforted. You cannot comfort someone suffering unless you have been comforted in your suffering. If you believe in Jesus, you have a comforter, and it's better than any comforter found on Amazon. Even the ones that heat up. Even the ones that are weighted. Even the ones that are weighted and heat up. Even the ones with 19 settings. 
The comfort God has given his children on Christmas is a one-size-fits-all ultimate comfort, not for your body, but for your soul. And now as we have received that gift of comfort from God, we can give the gift of comfort in his name. Christmas is about giving and receiving. The gospel says, first, when we believe, we receive all good things from God. And then in Jesus' name, we celebrate Christmas by looking to the needs of others and sharing the gifts we've received with those God puts in our way. The gifts that God has graciously given to us. So, my final question. What's the biggest gift under your tree? Some of you have yet to open the biggest wrapped gift under your Christmas tree. But guess what? The gift of Jesus on Christmas for you is so much bigger. And be childlike today when you think about Jesus. Picture Jesus and everything he did in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, and today his intercessory prayer for you. Jesus is praying for you today. Think like a child and go, what is it? And picture your heavenly father saying, go ahead and open it. If you need comfort, open it. You'll get comfort. If you need hope, open it. You'll get hope. And then after you open it, give it away. Give it away. Open the gift of Jesus. He was born to take away your sins and to give you all you needed. Open that gift and then give what you've received to others. Christmas is about giving and receiving gifts and God gave the greatest gift. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold him and you'll have a Merry Christmas. Let me pray. Lord, give us hearts to behold you today. Thank you that you sent your son to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Help us behold him. Help us receive the gift of forgiveness. By grace through faith, may we receive your forgiveness and repent of our sins. By grace through faith, may you comfort us and give us joy and hope and peace. Help us open all of those abundant gifts from you today. And Lord, help us share them this week with others to give away all of the great gifts you've given us. Lord, help us behold and We know today might be full of distraction or temptation. Father, silence the tempter today so that we might behold you. And quiet the distractions today so that our hearts might behold you. Help us behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so that we could have a Merry Christmas and so that you might be glorified in our hearts and homes. In Christ's name.